Hi there, I'm Lorraine. And I'm Rosie. And we've got a smashing guest today, haven't I'm we? I'm very excited. I am very excited. Singer-songwriter. The first hit with Groove Jets. Mm-hmm. That is a song, isn't it? That's a proper song. Yeah. Yeah. The Joys of the Kitchen Disco. Mm-hmm. Loving that. And mum of five boys, Sophie ellis Bexter. It's so good to see you. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I've been looking forward to speaking to you, so this is really nice. I don't really... <laughs> it's, it's all about what if, isn't it, Rosie? Mm-hmm. It is. We were talking about people's decisions about life yeah, and, and everything. everything. I remember meeting you when I was about seven. It was really weird. I remember you had green glitter eyeshadow on <laughs> and you gave me a pot of body glitter. I didn't remember that. <laughs> yes. You were so lovely. I didn't just remember that. have a sack that. of it about me at all times. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just basically go around the world throwing yeah. glitter I, at yeah. everything. Yeah. Can I make this sparkly ash? Yeah. <laughs> I think that sounds fantastic. And then you've ended up with loads of boys. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just I know. typical. It's just absolutely typical. Yeah. What, what if you hadn't gone into the music business though, Sophie? What do you think you would have done? Yes, because I remember when, Lorraine, when you mentioned your podcast and what if, I was like, oh, I've got so many of those <laughs> moments, I think. And actually, where I found myself with my music was a massive what if moment, really, because I nearly didn't do Groove Jet. And Groove Jet is the thing that gave me my solo career. So I first started singing when I was 16. I used to go clubbing and I met a guy there that said, I've got a friend looking for a singer. And actually... I had a little demo that I'd done with one of my friends of me singing some Oasis songs because it was 1995. <laughs> and uh, so I gave I gave that to this chap who was looking for a singer and he said, oh yeah, come and join the band. And that ended up being a band called The Audience, which gave me my first record deal. But actually by the time I was 20, I'd lost the deal. The band had split up and I was high and dry. All my mates had gone off to uni and I thought, I don't actually know what to do with myself now. And when I was first sent Groove Jet, which was obviously a very dancey track. And I'd come from an indie band. I I nearly didn't do it at all because I thought, I don't understand why I've been sent this. I don't like this kind of music. So I nearly didn't do that. That was my first big sort of, yeah, sliding doors moment, I guess. So that that is a decision. What eventually made you think, yeah, this is, this, this is going to work. This is going to be good. Well, a couple of weeks later, I was tidying my flat, which is quite an unusual occurrence in itself, I suspect. <laughs> and uh, I found this CD and it didn't have anything written on it. So I put it in the CD player and it was the instrumental of Groovejet. And I thought, actually, maybe I was a bit hasty here. There's something about it I quite like. And I think because I'd had my fingers so burned by my experience with my band, the highs and the lows of everything within sort of four years, I think I thought, actually, it would be quite good for my head to do something that's completely different at that time, the dance music scene was very much its own scenes. You had, you know, indie music and Britpop mm. was one island and dance was completely different. And I thought, you know, I think that'd just be good for me to do something that is completely separate. And the music press that I read, Melody Maker and NME, they won't even know I've done this. It'll just be for me, like a little adventure. So, yeah, it kind of, that was the bit where I thought, I think I need this, really. I had no idea it was going to... Oh, huge. Yeah, absolutely enormous. I mean, it was the hit. And still to this day, you know, it's a great track. If you want to get the party going, mm. if you want to get people up, you just put that on. <laughs> and everybody's, everybody's away, isn't it? I've been singing it for half my life now, actually. I'm, <laughs> I'm 42 now, and yeah, it came out when I was 21, so that's quite funny. Oh, <laughs> do you ever get, not bored, but do you ever get a bit like, oh, here we go again, I've got to sing this song again? 
Because you must have to do it all the time, actually. Yeah, but you know, if I've got a crowd, I'm absolutely happy because Mm. um, I'm always happy that. But if we're doing sound check and someone says, should we sound check murder? I get a bit bored because it's like, well, I I know how it goes. But if I've got a crowd, (laughs) I'm fine. Yeah, Yeah, it's different then, isn't it? It's absolutely different. Of course it is. And going back to growing up, your mum was a Blue Peter presenter. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so co- Much so cooler cool. than me, right? Um, maybe. I don't know about that. <laughs> I think it is. I but, think it um, is. Were you treated differently at school or was it something that you knew she did when you were growing up? Actually, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head of why it's, it's kind of cool and also wasn't. I mean, when I was... So my mum started doing Blue Peter when I was four and she finished when I was eight. So I was very much the sort of the target demographic of people going home and watching Blue Peter after school. So initially, yes, a lot of my friends at school were all going home and watching my mum. And obviously this is in the days where you only had four channels as well. So everybody was watching Blue Peter. But it was a kind of double-edged sword, really, because it was a very good way for me to make quick friends with people. Mm. And I would literally be like, my name's Sophie and my mum's on Blue Peter. (laughs) 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 Bit shameless. But then often later on they'd be like actually I'm not very interested in talking to you because I think that's quite big-headed and why are you talking about it anyway which is probably a fair point (laughs) (laughs) and is it true that you sold the blue peter badges yes it is true (laughs) very entrepreneurial (laughs) I love that I love that yeah it's semi-entrepreneurial because it's a great idea great business plan in theory my mum was having to wear them for the shows she was doing twice a week so it was a good little stash at home but I was selling them in a primary school playground and no one brings any change or any money to a primary uh, school playground true. so I'm not sure I ever collected no, but the idea, was there. The, idea the idea was there mm-hmm. the idea was there the idea was so maybe if you hadn't gone into the music business you could have been a business woman and yes. an entrepreneur of some kind I guess yeah. I am actually very fascinated by by business and, and yeah. business women entrepreneurs actually yeah I find it really fascinating I could see you doing something like that. I definitely could. It was interesting what you were saying about your first band, though, because there's that thing of what if that had been a success and that had worked? Because an awful lot of it's timing, isn't it? An awful lot of it is being at the right place at the right time, getting the right right management, getting the right people behind you and all of that. And if that had been and you'd been part of a, a group, would you have had the sort of longevity that you've got now? It's one of those things that we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Well, I I do credit the early failure of my band, though, as being a massive... It's probably like the keystone of what keeps me staying and gives me momentum, actually. Because I think once you've had everything go away and you know how that feels, it does actually help you build a little bit of armour. I think it's quite a good thing. It was horrible at the time, but I actually... I think it was really formative that that was my first experience with the music industry. And if I'd never had that and I'd just kind of gone on to success after success, I think that would have... I'd have a very different perspective and probably wouldn't, I wouldn't be as nice, actually. I think I'd probably be really, really horrible. No, but that's so interesting because you see that and you see, and I know that you have been working with Steps and you Mm. see that with bands that has been mega and actually they've always been brilliant and very, very well behaved. Well, now and again. (laughs) But they, you know, when you get the second chance again, which they have, you know, they've never really gone away, but they've come back bigger and better and all of that, like take that, like a lot of a lot of bands. Yeah. It's even better. It's better yes. the second time. You enjoy it more. You know Definitely. what I mean? It's it it means more to you, I think. 
And, yeah. and you, but you got that very, very, very young. So that meant that I think you're right. I think you're probably a much, much nicer person, not squeaking for all sorts of diva demands. You know, I want my water at the right temperature and, yeah. <laughs> and all of this. You know, you're just a normal girl. Yeah, exactly. And and I think also that fear of having everything taken away from you when you haven't experienced it, it manifests in different ways with different people. Mm. So for some people at that early stage of their career, it makes them build walls around themselves because they think that right. that will protect them. So they, they want the big entourage and they want the demands because they feel that like all of these things are inherent to their success, really. So I think it, it makes you a lot more resilient and sort of self-reliant because you think, well, actually, no, it's, it's sort of out of my hands. So I might as well just be professional and seize the opportunities. And also I love what I do. I really, really love it. Mm. And it's kept kept that passion and that that bond right at the core of whatever I get up to. I know I'm really fortunate. I know it could have been a very different way. And I actually don't have really any employable skills. So I would have had to do quite a lot of grafting. <laughs> I hear you. I, I absolutely hear you because I can't apply for any job. I haven't got any qualifications at all. <laughs> yeah, terrible. exactly. So we're, we're, it's just as well we, we, <laughs> we ended up where we did, I guess. So can you tell me when that track just took off hugely mm. was that just instantly life-changing was that instantly people recognized you and and it was just crazy how, how did that all work out uh a little bit but because I'd done groove jet with a very very tall man he's like a seven foot Venetian DJ called Cristiano Spiller yes, everybody yes. thought my name was Spiller so I used to go <laughs> out and about right. and people were like oi Spiller so <laughs> I think there was a bit where my face was maybe more recognisable, but I still felt a bit anonymous within it. And also within the dance community, the people that sing the tracks aren't, it, it doesn't, it's not a guaranteed, yes. oh, okay, here's ah. your career then. It's kind of, it's almost like a subculture actually. Of, there's a lot of people out there that provide a lot of top lines for a lot of those big club tracks and you never really, they never really have their moments. So I think for me, it was more just an eye opener in terms of, the dance genre and I think just the, the possibilities. It was like, oh, I actually could explore lots of different things. And mm. so long as I'm doing it for the right reasons, you know, you can you can take that leap of faith and yeah. sort of rip it up and start again. And you don't have to stick to one one type of music. And I think that was really good for me. It was a good lesson learned. How long was it after that that you then got to do and work on your own album? Groovejet came out in 2000 and I think I started having a conversation with Polydor later on that year. So it was in the summer it came out and then yeah, later on that year and I signed the deal probably the beginning of 2001. And to be honest, the idea of being a solo artist had never really occurred to me. I'd started off in a band and I liked being in a band. So I was almost a solo artist by default really. Mm. And even now when I'm in, in my band, I like to feel that kind of group that sort of mindset I really it really suits me I enjoy that I mean you can see I've taken this to heart because I've actually like married my bass player <laughs> very literal person <laughs> no that is that, that's the best idea though and the fact that both of you are in the same sort of well both of you absolutely are in the same industry th there mm -hmm. is an understanding there that I think somebody yeah they wouldn't really get it they just wouldn't you know that's that's worked out really well yeah, no, I really like it. And I like the fact that every week in our household is a slightly different shape with our work. And mm. Rich has got his own projects, but for the last little while, he's come back into playing in my band too. So we get a lot of shared experiences, which I think can really be something that can be missing sometimes. And in our line of work, you, can, you know, you can both be going off and having these incredible times, but then when you're together, it's all been separate. So I love the fact that 
a lot of it's been completely, we were both there experiencing the same things. That's no, fun. absolutely. And it's a huge support, I know. I mean, it is, it is like you've met your soulmate and that's mm. so important, isn't it? How Just, did you yes. meet? Yeah, how did so, you? So yeah, he was my bass player. So when that was it, uh, when it? I was auditioning <laughs> for my first band, there he was. Um, I met Richard in the rehearsal room, and this means that the first thing I ever said to him, <laughs> which still makes me laugh now because it's such an unlikely thing for me to come out with, but I walked over to him and I said, "Nice amp." which is very weird because I don't know if you're familiar with what an amp looks like, but they're yeah. just not the sort of thing no, you'd normally really. pick out as a thing to compliment. <laughs> but um, I think it was quite a nice colour or something. Um, yes. So, yeah, that's where we met, uh, a rehearsal room. And then we started touring together and then we started dating off. We'd known each other maybe a year. Oh, that's mm. good. I like yeah. that. that. I was the same with your dad. It was a year. So it's friends. your friends, your friends, and it's really good. Interesting chat-up line, though. Yeah. yeah. Nice not, not the best, really. But <laughs> when we had our 10-year wedding anniversary, I got it made into a neon sign in the studio. So it's oh, brilliant. Nice amp is forever on the wall. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Did you always want to have, like, children right away, or was it something, you know, that you wanted um, to do, or did it just kind of, as it does, happen? Yes, I suppose that's another what if moment, really, because, uh, no, I mean, I, I always liked the idea of being a mum one day, yeah, but Richard yeah. and I had actually only been going out for six weeks when we found out we were having a baby. Wow. So, wow. yeah, that definitely wasn't something I'd planned, but it was definitely, it became like the bedrock of, I suppose, how our relationship was. And by the time, so Sonny was born two months early, so we'd actually only been dating for eight months when we were three. And um, wow. yeah, I can't, I can't really imagine our relationship any other way yeah. we, were, we were sort of a family from the get-go almost gosh that's incredible <laughs> mm. and, and hard for you to go through that as well you know it's really worrying when they're so teeny teeny tiny and it's all yeah. new and, it's and, not, you're, and you're still finding out you about choose to have your first baby <laughs> no, but no, that being so. said my sister was very premature right. when I was 11 and she turned out brilliantly so I had kind of a happy ending sure. in my in my peripheral vision for what was supposed to happen. And I think also we were kind of riding a wave of everything was new, everything was exciting. Um, and that's just what happened. And actually it's quite a good preparation for parenthood in a way when things just go completely mm. in a different direction because mm -hmm. that, that is pretty much as much control as you've got over any of it anyway. No, absolutely. And you've done <laughs> that thing, both of you, you've managed to do that thing, of which is really hard, of having a really good, solid family life, but still mm. being able to do the things that you love, still being able to, yes. you know, to do quite a hard task is that, especially when, especially in the music business. I agree, but, and I'm sure it's exactly the same for you. I think if that's, if that's what resonates with you and what you want, then you just put it at the center of your life. And that's, for me, that's, it's just so vital. I love how grounding and, you know, most of my life is being, is being mum. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I love coming to work because it, it gives me the thing that I adore, but that is, it, that is completely at the heart of everything. And it's not unusual for me to do the gig and then come off stage and be straight on to sorting something. I mean, there's, there's a lot of admin that comes with five children. Um, <laughs> but, um, but no, I love it. And I love the fact that when I get in through the front door, they don't have any questions for me about how my work was. It's all about what they've been up to. And that's the right way around. And yeah, it's a good, a good tonic to keep me um, in the right, you know, headspace for, for what's really important to me, actually. No, yeah. five boys. Wow. No, <laughs> five of anything. Um, band's pretty dramatic too because the, the little one's two and the eldest is going to be 18 in the spring. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things going on all at once. <laughs> but, I mean, never, I would imagine, never a dull moment. 
Yeah. Definitely never a dull moment. Yes. Not for the faint hearted, but you will never get bored. I can promise you that. <laughs> no, but it's, but it's lovely. And, and the whole thing that you did during the pandemic, weren't the discos great yeah. on a Friday? I loved that. The kitchen disco. <laughs> it really, it was a genius idea. Where did that come from? Definitely not my idea. That was no. Richard, actually. I was, yeah. I was feeling pretty useless at the beginning of lockdown, actually. I was looking online so basically Richard and I had our whole diaries go empty all the all the tour dates we were about to do just obviously that all vanished overnight so we're both feeling a bit discombobulated with that already and I had so many talented musician friends filling my timeline with incredible performances accompanying themselves on piano guitar just doing these really amazing things and I said to him oh why did I not go past grade four on piano you know I could have been (laughs) accompanying myself that would have been really clever because I really just wanted to connect with people I wanted to do Mm. something and music's such a tonic anyway it was like a very instinctive thing to turn towards music but he said well why don't you just do one of your gigs and we'll stream it on Instagram and actually the first one we did was really chaotic and quite higgledy-piggledy and you know Mickey at the time was 14 months he was crawling around the floor I was wearing my sequin cat suit there was like wires everywhere (laughs) afterwards we just got this massive rush of endorphins I guess and it gave us a really lovely distraction and made the beginnings of this little community that we found and it became completely the focus of lockdown and I really really loved it it was incredibly special to me I can't it's still hard to articulate really because it was just so much about yeah, being with people in the moment and not asking anything of them, but just saying, let's have half an hour of silliness and fun and just a break from the heaviness of the news and, yeah, and jump around. And music's brilliant because it's escapism. You know, you can take yourself back to good memories, but it's also really good catharsis. You can put all your stress into that. It helped all of us. Yeah. Mm. It helped all I just think it was a fantastic idea. And, and from <laughs> that, of course, the radio show came from that, yes. the album, and the fantastic thing you did for Children in Need. 24 hours it was a 24 hour kitchen disco it was and that was really lovely (laughs) because right from the beginning of um once once the kitchen discos became our regular fixture during lockdown I Richard and I would always talk about how it'd be really lovely to bring it around to charity at some point Mm. when people were ready for it to be that I didn't want to ask anything of anyone during the time when everybody was finding life tough but I thought one day so it's been a very nice way for that to yeah be part of the party as well and it was a lovely thing to do and it was um you had so many people just popping in and having a little dance with you and yeah. then popping out again it was great it was really lovely yeah. i mean but i would imagine three o'clock in the morning you were starting to get pretty tired do you know what i was actually doing all right at that point because so many people who'd done it before so i'd spoken to Dermot o'leary who'd done a dance-a-thon Claudia Winkleman right. had done a dance-a-thon yes. Yes. they'd all been giving me their advice and they'd all warned me about sort of 2am till 6am mm. so that was the bit that my brain I was ready for that and actually weirdly it was one of my favourite bits because we had to clear the whole studio the whole theatre radio theatre for Covid reasons they had to completely recycle all the air in the room oh, so I was right, only allowed right, right. to have two people with me so I had the physio Greg and I had Richard with me and actually we were having quite a lot of fun it was a bit silly for about two hours it was just the three of us and then people started to come back in and guests and I had some friends come along which is amazing so then I got to six where I was like, okay, this is the bit where I've made it through the hard bit. Now my circadian rhythm is going to come back in. And actually that was the bit where all the wheels started to fall off. I was oh. like, oh, my tanks are actually running empty. And I got to eight o'clock and I thought, I think I'm about to collapse. I think I've just run out. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm going to be the only person that doesn't blimmin' finish this 24-hour challenge. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> um, but I had another coffee. 
physio Greg gave me something that I think is like a sort of pro plus, but to be honest, I was up to lunchtime. So God knows what it was. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, and I just sort of dug deep and I came back on stage after a five minute break and Rick Astley came on Zoom and I was like, Aww. talk to me, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Can I hold on it's to you? It's a very part of my life. <laughs> no, that's true. I know physio Greg. I know him from mm. a, 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 a comic relief thing. He's, he's, he's wonderful. Yes. He's absolutely wonderful. And then, yes. yeah, you need someone like that just to be in your corner yes. to, to get you through. Definitely. But congratulations. It was, a, it was a great thing to do. It was fun. And I know you had people who stuck with you all the way through it. You know, a lot, a yes. lot of viewers were there as well. You know, that was, that oh, was fantastic. That's I just don't think I could idea. do an I mean, hour watching my descent into madness. But actually, <laughs> it was mostly fun. It was mostly yeah. fun. You know, and also, I did get to do 24 hours of something I actually already liked. That's yeah. not like I was, uh, you know, drawing works of art on grains of rice for 24 hours or something. <laughs> I, like, I like dancing. It's fine. <laughs> did you make up a catalogue of dance moves? Because I think I would, by like... 20 minutes I'm like right I've run out of things to do. <laughs> <laughs> Just no, variety about is key I, I made that decision like I'm gonna keep moving it on definitely <laughs> oh you'd be all right You'd be all right. I could, I could come along and coach you. Yeah, you have to do that. We have I'll to stand in the wings. Definitely wing, have to do that. No big arms. <laughs> You spoke about dancing. You yeah. did Strictly back in 2013. Was it 2013? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. You were good. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, that was an extraordinary experience as well. Um, I actually loved a lot of that programme. And, you know, it, it set the benchmark forever of the most nervous it's possible to be on live TV. When I did uh, Pass the Doble in the semi-finals. It's <laughs> <laughs> still a strange uh, sentence all around, to be honest. But... Um, yeah, I, it definitely helped the day job and helped me lose inhibitions. And also had a sort of new respect for learning new things in, you know, I was in my 30s then. I'm like, I don't think I'd learned anything, like any new skills for at least a couple of decades. So that was good as well. <laughs> no, you, talk, you talked about it. I know you talked about it in your autobiography and you said, you know, mm. obviously an amazing experience. But as well as that, you are away from your family. It is mm. quite difficult. And, you know, you know that, is, that is hard. That puts a strain. Um, yes. And the show is so big you know you become in this strictly bubble you know you, you sort of exist yeah. in that don't you it's very odd there's all of that which yeah. yes I definitely found challenging you know it's not like any other tv way you can have your friends and family come and sit in the dressing room that was if that ever happened that was quite a sort of special occasion right. so that immediately is it sets a slightly different atmosphere I understand you know it's a big show and they mm. probably don't want to leave too many people wandering around backstage, but certainly if you're someone that normally likes to include lots of people in what you're up to, that felt strange. But I think actually the thing that was the most challenging is that you're already doing something outside your comfort zone. And then the entire environment is very intoxicating. And it's quite hard to keep a grip on the perspective of how you entered it and how you want to leave it. Because obviously once you're in the midst of it, you want to give it your all and you want to stay in. You don't want to be voted out. That's horrible. So so I think it's just keeping an eye on on how you're feeling, really, and making sure that you can walk away from it thinking, actually, yeah, I did that. I did that on my own terms and I didn't end up, you know, pretending to be someone else on the dance floor that isn't really me. Yeah. So I found elements of that quite, quite tricky. You know, you just and, and as a grown up, you don't very often stand on national TV and have a go at doing something and then immediately get a sort of you know, some people, experts giving you their yeah, critique. Yeah. Do you know that's So true? I think that element yeah. is, 
yeah, you have to kind of keep a bit of perspective, really. Mm. I mean, you are literally judged right away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you are. And it's the thing really you've are. been trying really hard. And I know. So, you know, if they say, oh, well, that wasn't very sexy. And you're like, well, was I being... Was I being me or do I push yeah. it further? And if I, I do know. that, can I then go back to how I normally am? You know, there's all these edges of yourself and how you present yourself. So once you put yourself in the hands of other people, mm. it's just about making sure you sleep well at night at the end of it, I guess. No, that's mm. very true. And 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 as you said, absolutely nerve wracking. And you've got to be mm. a bit of a, a, an actor, an actress. You've, you've got to do that. I would imagine the worst bit is, you know, just before you go on and they say, and now Sophia, inspector yes. is dancing too. They pass it oblique. And, and, yes. and then it's like you think, oh, my God, I can't remember yes. the first step. Well, actually, <laughs> the bit I always found the most nerve wracking was just before that, where the VT would be on, on the screens and you've yes. never seen it before. And you might be you you know blown up on this big screen in the studio going I've I found this really hard and this step's really tricky and I'm really nervous and you're like walking down to the stage like yeah. mm -hmm. and then <laughs> the floor manager's going 40 seconds 20 seconds oh, and you're like no. in your first position like you just want I mean, come on just start oh, and that's, oh, that was the bit we always think I can't get out of this I can't say I've got a sore throat or my ankle's sore or anything I just mm. got the music's gonna start and I've got to do something <laughs> I'm amazed that nobody's just thing. run away. I am absolutely amazed that nobody's just going. You would really so I would run away. Yeah, I would run away. I could never do <laughs> it. It would be actually Honestly, amazing. I, I did hear apparently one of the contestants a long time before me. He just went and sat down on the steps because he couldn't remember. Oh no! I thought that would be that's quite bold. To just go. Actually, I'm just going to sit this one out. Just, <laughs> just wait for the music to finish. Just, just let the professional run around yeah. and dark. Oh, it'll be grand. We'll get yeah. we'll get enough marks. It'll be okay. Exactly. But I'd, yeah, I, I really enjoyed your autobiography. I thought it was really good because it was Thank really it, it was really honest. You know, you talked about you talked about your your marriage relationships. You know, growing up, all of that, in, in a very mm. honest way. You know, you, because normally it's all sort of like sprinkled with fairy dust isn't it oftentimes but it's very good for other people to know that you just go through the same things as everybody else does of course you do of course yeah, you and do. I suppose with an autobiography there's kind of two approaches really you can do the kind of my showbiz life and <laughs> drop names but I'm actually really rubbish at that so that wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to sustain that um it would have been really awkward for me so uh I just I don't really know how else to write that's that's mm. that's the only way I've ever you know, had a relationship with written word. I like writing, so I really enjoyed it, actually. But, yeah, it was slightly unnerving. I think actually coming to see you was one of the first interviews I did yes, about the book. And, mm. and when people say it's honest, you're always a bit like, what does that really mean? No, it's good. <laughs> but um, I, it's but good. I don't really know how else to do it. And I think, you know, you just write as yourself, don't you? You just think, well, I'm going to chat to you as if I was just, you know, slightly oversharing if you sat next to me somewhere. And, <laughs> and hopefully we'll have a bit of a giggle as well. And, yeah, I did enjoy it. I did. <laughs> no, it's good. And it's good to get it out there in your own words, because oftentimes Definitely. people tell your story for you. And I think it's really important that you you say, you know, what happened in your life. And I mean, there was bits there that I, I, I wondered when, when you put them in, because obviously at some stage, your boys will read that, which I think is a great mm. thing. It's, it's a wonderful thing because they'll get to know their, their mum. You know, mm. but you, you talked about things like, you know, when you, when you were sexually assaulted and things like that, that are very, very private, but you didn't. And I'm really... Easy to understand. But when you were doing that, I wondered if you were thinking about who's reading it or was it just that you wanted to just tell the story and, and get it out there? Probably a mixture of both, really. Yeah. But I did know, I mean, for my kids, for them, the whole book starts with a happy ending, you know? I'm oh, a, absolutely. Mm, absolutely. A functioning, happy 
emotionally stable, I hope, mother. And so I, I feel like I, I felt confident in sharing those things because they're part of what's helped me end up where I am and I'm in a happy place. So there's no conversation I'm shy of having with them. And there's always age appropriate ways to sort things through. I knew the little three weren't going to have any idea about it. My 12 year old's already listened to it on Audible. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I had to kind of chat to him a little bit. But to be honest, you know, he listened to you know, some of it went in, some of it didn't really. And I think I think it's all like I just wasn't that freaked out by that. I suppose if it was something that happened to me like last year or two years ago and I was still processing things, right. yeah. it might have been a different thing. But there's been a whole life lived since then. So I'm not frightened about that anymore, really. No, and it's good to share mm. these things. I think it's important. Yeah, I think, I think so. it's important for other, especially other people that have been through it, you know, men or women who, who have been yeah. through something like that. And there you are living a great life. You know, a normal life yeah, <laughs> with, with exactly. all of all of the things that, exactly. that happen to to yeah, every single one of us, which is which is great. Now you've said your boys are they they must they're in a house of music, aren't they, Rosie? Yeah, they're in a house of music all the time. It must be great, <laughs> don't you think? Yeah, I think it'd be brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Are they learning? You know, about songwriting? Are they learning to play instruments? Are they all interested in that? Yeah, the majority of them are. I mean, my littlest ones are definitely really into music. And I went on tour when I was very pregnant with my fifth one. He just makes up little songs. He's constantly <laughs> dancing. He knows what he likes. We go to nursery with me blaring out stuff on Spotify. He's got his own little soundtrack. He's quite into <laughs> reggaeton at the moment. <laughs> so it's quite, it's quite full on as we're walking along the streets. But for all of them, I just want them to have their own musical identity, really, because... You know what it's like. You have your favourite songs and they become this soundtrack and your companion. Yes, you yes. can go back to them again and again. And then I think the one who's got the sort of least interest in music is probably the 12-year-old. He really likes film. But if I sing around the place, he's just like, stop that. He just <laughs> he nips it in the bud very fast. <laughs> he doesn't mind us playing music in the kitchen, but he doesn't really right. request much stuff. It's just, it's just not really his bag. I quite yeah. like that. It's quite nice when your kids just really surprise you and they're just completely their own people. But yeah, for the most part, they're, they're quite into it. I don't know if they're going to be always into what I like, though. Probably not. I'm probably on borrowed time with that with the smalls, I think. <laughs> you spoke about favourite songs. Murder on the Dance Floor is one of my favourite songs. I love Murder is on the it? Dance Floor. Oh, right. I love the Thank video. You. The nice. video is well so, so good. funny with the slipping on the butter. <laughs> I love that. I know. It's such a great song, yeah. though, isn't it? It's really, yeah. It's the song that we used to put on before we'd go out. Yes, you did. Yay. I used to hear that from your room. You, yeah. know, you know, the girls were getting ready. I love it. And mum's favourite, Skepta. Oh, yes, indeed. Uh Sampled it. Did you know that that was happening? How did that happen? Yes, I got approached. If someone's using a part of your track, you have to give approval. So I got sent over and I really loved it. I thought it was great. So much so, actually, that I kind of reached out to him and ended up performing it with him. And Yeah, really fun. And what an honour. You know, that song's, you know, it's pretty senior now. I think it's like 20 years old. So anything that kind of breathes new life into it is just really exciting. Yeah, I, I love that. I really love that. I think what he did was really clever, actually. I really like mm, it. Nice. It was a good one. Yeah. Oh, it was a good one. <laughs> and you like, you have got, you know, some f- cracking tunes. You know, when you think about it, they are great tunes, you know, and everybody knows them. It must be such a, uh, when you're actually performing, which I know mm. you've you missed so much, which is why mm. we had the fantastic discos. But when you are performing, you see everybody out there just going for it. It must be great. Oh, it is. It's the best. Yeah. I think it's such a privilege as well. Like, you know, Rosie, you saying you got ready to murder on the dance floor. I just love the fact that there's something that 
had a hand in creating that it ends up having its own little life and then it becomes mm. part of your story yes, yes. and your relationship with it is totally your own it's kind of nothing to do with me I think that's a really nice feeling I just never tire of it I don't I don't really luckily I don't really identify when singers don't like singing songs that people know them for I think I think it's a total gift and I suppose you know now more than ever creating a bit of a party environment has just been a complete joy in fact if anything I think I'm slightly unnerving crowds at the moment because I come out very enthusiastic <laughs> I'm like yeah hey and they're always be like oh she's a bit keen but overall I'm just yeah I'm very happy to be doing the day job again and next year we want to take the kitchen disco on tour okay. so you'll have to come along come and oh, have a party with us yes what, some, a, what a brilliant idea requests. just have a massive massive view I wonder what the, what the set will be like you'll have to have a fantastic <laughs> kitchen <laughs> yes well I'm going to keep it quite faithful to the original so it's going to I think yeah, you have to look, it means no. shame really because I'm going to some amazingly beautiful venues like London, it's the Palladium, and then I'm sort oh, of wow. bringing the tone down by turning it into my kitchen. But, <laughs> but I think it'd be fun. And I want to take requests and do a different set every night and have lots of, you know, all the covers from the kitchen discos and just try and have a really good night out with people. I want everybody to leave with a bit more of a spring in their step. That's my intention. That sounds amazing and exactly yeah. what we need. And everybody can um, get dressed up and everybody can yes, put, exactly. you know, like I say, sprinkle that glitter. That's yes. what we That's what Bring we your body glitter, Rosie. <laughs> I kept that pot for years. So I was like, I'm not throwing this away. <laughs> I remember that so well. It was just such a John. Oh, it's great. You can you can never have too much glitter. And you've yeah. got a really good following in the gay community, haven't you? They really have kind of taken you to their hearts, and that's the most loyal audience you will ever have, don't you think? Yes, and actually, I know it's the same for you because I remember seeing you at Pride in Trafalgar Square in London was a couple that? of years back. Fabulous! Bet. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, honestly, it's um. Doing the Pride events specifically is one crowd that's actually brought me to tears on stage more than once, just because the exchange of love is such a pure mm -hmm. feeling. It's just, it's real, that's like a real life force. And um, I sort of credit the, the gay community and those performances as being the thing that's really helped me come on as a performer the most, because they give you such confidence and such warmth, like the support and the love. When the moment you walk out, you might be nervous backstage and you walk out and there's just this wave of, yes. And then you just think, oh, okay, I'm amongst friends. This is yes. going to be fun. Mm. And it's just been really crucial to me. I, you know, there's been a couple of performances in particular that just been, yeah, like among my favourite ever that I've ever done. Yeah, yep. really special. It's when you find your tribe. That's yes, it's tried. Yes, <laughs> exactly that. It's, it's always, lovely. It's always really good. And Pride events are just, it is just a celebration, which is exactly what it should be. Um, it is. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, it and is now I feel like their mum when I'm up there as well, which is really funny. Oh, listen, I'm, little, I'm... Beautiful the... little upturned faces. And you're like, oh my God, you're so young. You're so young and beautiful. Um, you can be mum I, I think be because, grandmother. You know, because the, for the gay community as well, like the lockdown, I always felt that must be so hard. You know, if you're growing up, and you're not able to find that second family that you get with yes. your friends in the clubs and, yes. and, and helping you, you know, become the person, getting that support. I just thought for them, like, getting everybody back together was even more significant. Exactly. For me anyway, that's how Ex I saw it. No, I, I, I agree with you 100%, 100%. And have you been enjoying the whole experience with Steps? Do you, yes. get, to, do you get to hang out or not really? Because you're all working so hard. Well, it's not that. Actually, they're being incredibly careful with oh, COVID restrictions. So I, I have seen... I've seen the gig, obviously, but I've, I've seen them in the corridor once mm. oh. um, because they are keeping away. They're not going into the catering. They're being incredibly careful. We've got five 
gigs left. Yeah, five mm-hmm. gigs left. So I think by the time we get to the last two, they're going to be able to be a bit more relaxed, but they've just been yeah. really careful so they don't get ill, mm-hmm. which I completely respect because, um, you know, they don't want to jeopardise the shows. So looking ahead, we've got mm. the kitchen discos to come. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's obviously going to take up an, an awful lot of time and energy, as well as the fact that, you know, you happen to have five boys to yes. raise. <laughs> there's yes, there's all of that going on. <laughs> but is there anything that, you you know, you did mention that you love writing. Is that something mm. that you'd... I mean, I'm kind of amazed you've not done a, a sort of book for the kids. You know that? Yeah, I yeah. did try and write a kids book, actually. Maybe it's quite I hard, though, isn't it? Day, but I feel like... You know, I'm a big believer in serendipity, actually, right thing at the right time. And I think if something doesn't come fairly naturally, then it's probably best you leave it for a minute. But I would like to write. It's funny, when I was in the middle of writing the autobiography, I said to Richard, after this, I'm going to do fiction. He was like, just finish that one first. (laughs) So I kind of was on a wave of like, this is great. But um, yeah, if I get the right idea, I definitely would like to try it again. I, uh, I really was so surprised. I didn't think I'd like it as much as I did. And I think I'm slightly inspired by my mom as well. She's She's now writing fiction and has done, well, since she turned 60, she's got a book deal when she was 60 and she's done two books so far and she's writing a third one. So that's been very inspiring too. And she lives quite close, doesn't she? She does. She's 10 minutes from me. Fantastic. (laughs) Babysitter on tap. Well, that would be nice that she insists on having her own life. She goes out a lot, to be honest, my mum. How rude. That happened the other night. (laughs) Mum went out and I was in my pyjamas having a Chinese. I know, and I actually went out. You went out, you were all dolled up. I know, which was very unusual, very unusual Mm. to Mm. go out. You had to say to me, "Don't, don't you be late. Yeah. Don't you be late in. That was a real kind of <laughs> tables turned moment. Oh, wow. yeah. I know. And you took my handbag. I did. But mm. that's that's fine. Yeah. You can do all of that. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. It's it's all good. It's all good. Do your boys all get on really well? Do they all sort of are they uh, all quite No, not all no. the time, no. Okay. No, definitely siblings, you know. Um but I think underneath it there's a massive bond and lots of love there. But but no, I mean the thing is, you know, home is the place where you can push all the boundaries and you know there's lots of winding up that goes on and you know they can get challenged and I think you know there's a there's a bit of a school of hard knocks element but I am really hot on kindness so I kind of pull them up on all of that stuff I don't I don't like it but I do understand that's just what siblings mm. seem to do yeah it's just you can't really fight it and actually the less I meddle the quicker it sort of moves on and they still they play together they're constantly interacting they want to be in each other's company They'd rather do, even if that's, you know, there's there's a form of attention that comes with that as well. So I think they'd rather do that than not see each other. But yeah, sometimes I'm exasperated. Like, why can't of you course. all just get along? But I think it's just a natural, just, like the yeah. law of the jungle, isn't it? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, my brother used to fight. I mean, physically battle yeah, each other. You know, really? You know, oh, yeah. yeah. We're all right now. Like, we're absolutely yeah. fine now. because I mean, he lives on the other side of the world. Though. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> can't reach. Can't reach. I can't, I can't get him. I can't get him anymore. <laughs> That's for sure. It is hard work bringing up children, but bringing up five good men... You know, and I think you've absolutely got the right attitude there, you know, to bring up five good guys that will be respectful and, oh, yeah. and all of that. You know, that's that's coming from a, a good place. Like yourself, your husband, your mum, your extended family, because that's huge, especially now. I think it's harder for young men now than it is for young women in many ways. I don't know if you, mm. you agree, Rosie. Cause yeah. I think it is hard because they don't really know what they're supposed to do sometimes, you know, that sometimes they can't do yeah. right for doing wrong. It's quite, it's difficult. It's difficult. It is. And I think there's still a bit of a clunky shift in the sort of old traditional way of, you know, 
raising a young man and the way we now understand is a lot more beneficial for long-term you know mental health and having of course kind decent people so I think there's still a little bit of uh, a little bit more oil and those cogs is needed mm. but I do I, I'm sort of not worried about them in the long term and also I've got it turns out I've got lectures and chats about this stuff for days if it needs to be and you know it's not unusual for me to say to them look you know you're now I don't know let's say 12 you've got six years of me you know helping you with all this stuff and then you're on your own Mm. but I'm gonna I'm not gonna let up you know I'm determined that you're gonna get your head around just common decency or I don't know issues of consent or how to just rub up you know rub alongside other people in society and pull your weight and be a decent contributor and be aware of other people empathetic you know show humility it's all stuff that matters so yeah. I'll do my best and then I we'll think see you'll what be happens. fine it's a long I game I think <laughs> it is it is it is I think they're very lucky boys yeah definitely well let's see what happens they'll <laughs> they can they can release their autobiographies in the film <laughs> <laughs> you can read it like oh <laughs> It'll be like all that glitters, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, <gasps> the true story glitters, of uh, our family home and how we were forced to do kitchen discos for weeks on end. <laughs> My mother used to heat the floor, so we had to keep dancing. <laughs> I love that. Oh, fuck. Um, so we end uh, each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret and win. Mm. Um, so we can start with fail. Yeah. Yeah. And they it don't have to be horrible ones. Yeah, it, can be, it can be funny ones, be nice ones. Yeah. I don't very much believe in regret. I think it's quite an unhelpful mm. emotion. And by and large, you have to trust that the person you are when you're reflecting on something is still the person you were who made the decision to do it at the right t- that time as well. Yeah. Mm. You still have to have faith in yourself, really. Yeah. But, and you know, sorry, bringing the tone down a little bit. That, but when I was at school, a girl in my year, I wasn't particularly close to, but I did know she really sadly died very suddenly right at the end of our, when I was 18. And I didn't go to the funeral and I've always thought that was the wrong decision. I should have gone. Mm-hmm. I think I was a bit freaked out and uh, it was just something where I said, oh, I'm, I've got something else I'm doing, which was true, but I could have got out of that and I should have gone mm-hmm. to the funeral. It was the wrong decision. I've always thought that. That's so, yeah. understandable though. I think at that age, I think that's very, very understandable. I just knew it was the wrong decision, I think around the time as well. So someone should have said to me, just go. I should have gone. Yeah. But anyway, that's that's my fail regret. Yes. And what about your win? Your biggest win? My biggest win? I think it's got to be Groovejet. It's got to be trusted yeah, and instinct with yeah, that because yeah. I was told not to do it. My manager didn't understand why I was doing it. He managed my band. He knew the indie world. When I was doing the dance track, he said he actually stopped managing me the same week the Groovejet came out. And he said, I wish you all the best, but you're on your own with this. And um, I don't, you know, I understand why he did that, but I'm just really Big mistake, big mistake. That I was young enough to kind of go, no, I'm going to do this. Because it's very easy to always want to do things by committee. And mainly I do, but then I didn't. And that was, I'm glad. Oh, that was a cracking win. That was a cracking win. I love that win. And you know in Pretty Woman when she says, big mistake, huge. Yeah. <laughs> you could have done that. Oh, my God. And how would you have felt if you hadn't, for goodness sake, if you hadn't followed your, your gut instinct and not done that fantastic yeah. track? Well, I guess something else would have happened and someone yeah, else would have sung yeah. it and then you never yeah, know, do you? Of course. It just becomes that other, another story. It, <laughs> absolutely. Sophie, thank you so, so much for joining oh, us. Thank, thank you. you. What a lovely, lovely way to spend the time. <laughs> (laughs) I'm going to keep chatting to you guys. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.